Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive and to come together like this as your adopted ones, ones you knew from eternity past. We thank you for saving us by grace through faith in your precious Son. Words can't really describe this. We try to put it into words, Father, but we ask that you help us appreciate the supernatural things you've done for us. We thank you for this privilege of studying your word and listening to your spirit. We also pray, Father, for everyone who can't be here tonight that wants to be. Uh, we ask that you comfort them and encourage them and bring them back to us as soon as possible, according to your will. And Father, especially right now, we just want to pause and thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world 2,000 years ago to become human, to take our place on the cross so that whoever repents and trusts in him will be saved forever and ever and ever. Father, please bless this time right now in your word. Guide us. Help us be humble before your Holy Spirit. We ask these things based on the merits of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Making Disciples, Part 2. I uh, hope you enjoyed Sunday. Uh, what we're going to do here is uh, do some quick review from key principles on Sunday, and we'll get to the meat of our message. Uh, first, I do want to thank Pastor Collins for the opportunity to stand in for him this week. I count it a privilege any time I get to stand behind this pulpit and preach God's Word. And as we've learned over the years, a pulpit like this is given to prepare us to do God's work outside of these four walls. And a large part of that good work is to make disciples for our Lord. You know, I was thinking about it, as you can turn again to Matthew 28. But I was thinking about it. This is what gives us purpose, everybody. For all of our frailties, for all of our weaknesses and struggles on a day-to-day -day basis sometimes, right? We might know we're saved, but we just struggle with life or um, getting up in the morning sometimes. But this is the ultimate purpose, and we've all been called and, and, and privileged to partake in the eternal lives of other people, to actually have an impact on the eternal salvation of another person. It's silly that, we, that he involves us in this, that, that we even, silly from a human perspective, right? That we even have the chance or the, or the, the uh, <laughs> we don't have any ability, right? I was going to say the ability to, to get involved. We don't. But he supernaturally empowers us through the Holy Spirit, through humility, to be used for eternal purposes. So if you're having a trouble struggling with your purpose in life, this is it, everybody. This is why we're still alive. And he didn't just take us up. So embrace this and be like, you know, excited about it. What does he want me to do? It doesn't have to be like anybody else does it. But what does he want me to do? And we're going to see that kind of like a running theme tonight a little bit. So look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20 again. Uh, this is commonly called the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we talked about on Sunday how some of us are called to go out to the corners of the earth with the gospel. Some of us are called to start in Jerusalem. That's a quote from Luke 24 about the Great Commission. And what does that mean in context? It means start in your backyard, start in your own town, which is where the apostles were located when that was spoken. So we're all given this command and this privilege to make disciples for our Lord, to teach them all of his ways over time, showing them how to follow Jesus. 
But what does it mean to make disciples? And how are we to do this thing? We talked about, first and foremost, the willingness to lead someone by the hand. That is required. You have to at least be willing to lead someone by the hand to show them the ways of Christ. The illustration of this is the Lord himself and how he made disciples by letting them follow him, leading them by the hand. Maybe we're supposed to imitate him. I don't know. It's just an idea. I could be off. On the board, making disciples. Jesus said, follow me. This means he allowed them, even encouraged them, to be personally involved in and observant of his personal life. Right? There was never a time that they weren't with him. I mean, maybe except when he snuck away on, on the mountain to pray by himself. You know, but they slept in the same area. They ate in the same area. They traveled. They probably swam. Whatever they did, they were always together. So think about it. This point on the board means Jesus didn't hide anything from their sight. Like we would prefer to do in the flesh, right? But he didn't hide anything from them um, about who he was. He was totally transparent. He didn't hide them from the harshness of the world, nor his responses to it, which is the really valuable part, right? Where you really learn. He was an open book to the disciples in both speech and actions. We also heard on Sunday one of the main reasons why Jesus called his disciples to follow him. What was the main purpose? Well, it's what we just started with and the, our purpose for being alive to this day on the board. Making disciples, following Jesus has a purpose specifically to bring the light of his gospel to others as well. Simple. Mark 1.17 And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. See the purpose? <clears throat> it wasn't just to grow up spiritually. It was to do something that affected the eternal lives of others. He would make them fishers of men. So on-the-job training is what we talked about on Sunday, too. It means much more than sharing the word proper, like a classroom setting, but allowing others to see the light of life in action. Jesus showed them uh, through experience how to fish for men and how to reach out to save souls from the deceptions of Satan. He showed them, literally. And now we have his example in the word. We have the word complete. We have everything we need to learn from right here as though we were there. Because it's anything we need is recorded. And how many examples do we get of how he dealt with people, how he preached the gospel? So on the board regarding making disciples, not only did Jesus teach them the word throughout their time together, but he also taught them by one of the greatest ways any of us learns, by example. The wisest person who ever lived knew this was the most effective way to teach. And so he said, follow me. He didn't say just come to school five days a week. Follow me. May I submit to you all that we should be doing the same with people in our lives. We can't do it like he did. No one can. He was perfect. But to say that we can't show one person at a time how to follow Jesus is um, a little bit absurd, really. If you're willing to go forward by faith. Because God is the one who empowers anyhow. But if we're going to do this thing, we have to do it from the right motivation. And there's only really one right motivation that empowers us. On the board, we saw this on Sunday also. Making disciples requires his love. We love because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. And the love of Christ compels us. It should motivate us 
in 2 Corinthians 5:14, part A. His love for us and his forgiveness of us should give us a desire to take someone else under our wing and mentor them to follow Jesus. Just like a father might take a son with him on the job or doing chores or visiting the sick or whatever, that visual example is priceless to a child. And who are we but children of God? Priceless visual examples. And we have it all in the Word of God. And you know what? Once you get enough of the Word of God, you're able to be a visual example to somebody else who doesn't have the Word of God. You are. Not by your own ability, but you are empowered to do so. So I want to encourage everybody today that this is for you in some way, somehow. You mustn't be a Bible teacher to make a disciple. But what you must be willing to do is enter into the sacrificial love of Christ. That's a big question. Are you willing to enter into the sacrificial love of Christ? Will you put aside your own life like he did for us? That's a big ask maybe for you right now. I don't know. But if you're not ready, stick with the word and pray about it. And ask God to give you the readiness, the right heart, the sacrificial love. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians 2, verse 3. Philippians 2, verse 3. Paul said in Philippians 2 that we are to regard others as more important than ourselves. And this is the mindset of our Lord to be successful disciple makers. This is Jesus' mind, which we're not going to read all of Philippians 2, but it basically talks about this was how Jesus thought to lead him all the way to the cross unselfishly. But look at just verses 3 and 4. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Jesus put it a different way on the board. In John 15, 13, he said, Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. And again, this doesn't necessarily mean physically dying for someone. It means laying down your life putting your own life aside, your preferences, your comforts for the benefit of somebody else. You can't do that without love motivating you. You don't have the power and the motivation. But if you tap into the love of Christ that he had for you, that's the only way that you can relay that and live that out and have the power to obey the Great Commission. It's part of our calling. So transitioning back to actually making disciples. There are many people out there that are curious about Jesus. And they might not be true believers yet, but they are curious. They are open. They don't know where to turn. They don't know where to go. But you can certainly be giving them a positive direction. So on the board regarding on-the-job training, we have the opportunity to take others by the hand and show them what the Lord has shown us. It's really that simple. Keep it simple. Anyone can show somebody else what the Lord has shown you. The reason is because the Lord has shown you. You're not sharing what the Lord's shown me or Pastor Collins or DJ. You're sharing what the Lord has shown you. And that, you know what? That's different for everybody slightly. Just share what the Lord has shown you. It's really simple. Keep it simple. You might be making it a bigger deal than it is or a bigger project than it is. Any one of us could mentor somebody in our periphery. How about especially younger people? I think about younger people today that have no direction and no hope in this world. They weren't brought up with God at all, like almost have no concept. They think you die and that's it. 
there's, there's young people around, all around that are, are hoping. They don't even know they're hoping, but they're hoping someone takes them by the hand and shows them the truth. And I know some of you in this congregation that have done this with people, and it's been very encouraging to see, but that's our calling. That's like our, uh, our duty and our privilege at the same time. We must be willing to let others into our lives to do this, however, for the sake of Christ. So a friendly reminder, also from Sunday on the board, regarding making disciples, we are to go out. And that means to reach out, not waiting for others to come to us, as stated in Matthew 28. And again, we can and should make disciples even in our own backyards. But in our day and age, you can go out from home, which is crazy. Imagine, you know, the apostles seeing what we can do today, reaching out to people on the Internet, talking to someone in India live without, without any pause in the voice even. So we can go out even in our own homes now, even during the pandemic. As I mentioned, there are chat rooms, live chat rooms. We could talk to people around the world, if you want, on PalTalk, for example. I'm sure there's many others. And when's the last time maybe that you instant messaged an old friend, someone you grew up with, to, to just start a conversation about what's going on in the world and see their viewpoint and hopefully lead them to the good news? When's the last time you did that? Just asking. Like, like, again, we're called to go out, right? It doesn't necessarily mean go out of this country, but it means to reach out. It means to be proactive, not reactive, right? Not waiting for them to come to you. There are many ways we can go out, and we simply have to be willing and eager to be used by God. Are you? Well, I don't know. That's between you and God. But do you pray about being used by God? Or do you just sit at home kind of sulking that you can't be? I mean, I've been there at times. But do you actually pray about God using you in some way? Are you at least open to Him changing your life, changing your heart in this area? How about this? Do you go to Him and say, I can't do this, Lord, but I want to. Show me how you want me to reach out, whatever that means for me, what's best for me, and fill me with your spirit. This is where it all begins. None of us can obey the Great Commission in our own strength, lest we deceive ourselves. We'll come back to that later. So that being said, how might we proceed? What important things might we share share with others as we disciple them? As mentioned on Sunday, how about sharing with someone a couple scriptures about the deity of Christ? I mean, there are people out there that have no idea what it says about the deity of Christ in the Bible. You know, they don't know if he's just a man or a prophet or, you know, what he is. How about Isaiah 7.14 and Isaiah 9.6, two favorite Christmas passages about the Messiah being born of a virgin and being called God, Father. And how about reminding them that this was written 700 years before he was born? That might be a good place to start, at least this time of year. So on the board, how might we disciple another person? Just some ideas. Read your favorite passage with them. And notice I said your favorite passage, because this helps you simply speak from the heart. Doesn't it? I'm not talking about teaching them a Bible lesson, you know, on key passages of salvation even. Share with them your favorite passage. There's a reason it's your favorite passage. And you can share with them from the heart what that means to you, why that's so important to you. How about taking them out to the store with you? And that's just one example. But let them see your light functioning in real life. And don't be a fake, but be transparent. You know, just be yourself. Make sure you're filled with the Spirit. Live life and let them observe. Especially younger people, they're dying to observe how to interact socially and with grace. 
How about having a heart-to-heart on the phone with someone and calling, not texting? Have to put that in there these days, right? You can't have a heart-to-heart texting, okay? I know some of you might think that, but words get misconstrued. You can't have any emotion. You can't, you can't have any, you know, see what someone else is really saying. But there might be someone you can have a heart-to-heart with on the phone or face-to-face. And then how about just offering someone a ride to church one day? It might even be just out of the blue. And you might say, what do you have to lose? Anyway, these are all examples of what might be done to make a disciple. And it's a process. This isn't, it's, like, it's not like a one, you know, if, I, if you do one or two of these things, it's done. We're talking a lifetime journey, right? You might be discipling someone for years or just a few weeks. Who knows? But these are just some ways or things you could do with people. And remember, it doesn't require ability. It requires sacrificial love, a willingness. And it also only takes one person at a time. So in the theme of follow me, we also saw the Apostle Paul encouraging people to imitate his faith on the board. But remember, you can't imitate someone's faith unless you're close to them unless you can observe them. Philippians 3.17, Paul wrote, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Do you see the simplicity in how to make disciples? Again, people learn best by example, and Jesus knew it. And as the Spirit taught us recently, if you don't, or if they don't see holiness in you, they're not going to see the Lord in you. And remember, holiness means to be set apart. If you're not living a life set apart for Christ, as your lifestyle, you're not perfect. But if you're not living that life set apart for Christ, that you want to follow Him, they're not going to see the Lord in you. But if you are doing that thing, they will see the Lord in you, without you forcing it, without you trying Let them follow you. Just make sure you're filled with the Spirit. Be praying continually, right? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all things. 1 Thessalonians 5. And they will see the light of Christ in you. So, on the board, making disciples of our Lord. We also um, talked about this Sunday. As we invite others to follow us around, so to speak, we strive to show people that they don't need us, actually. We're just messengers. They need God. They need the Lord himself, just like you need the Lord and I need the Lord. And that's got to come across in our example and in our words. I need the Lord. (laughs) You might think I'm spiritual. I need the Lord, trust me. And that's what they need to see and hear. So you transfer their their affection for you or their, um, their looking up to you, you transfer that to Jesus in this discipling process, right? He's the only one worthy of following. They need a personal relationship with the Lord who died for them. That must come across, as in John 14, 6, 1 John 4, 19, and Psalm 116, 1 through 2. We aren't to make ourselves the heroes, of course, or the saviors in their lives, We are to point to the one and only Savior, the only hope of mankind, the true hope of mankind. So next point on the board, this also came out on Sunday. Discipling also involves teaching, teaching others the ways of Christ. Kind of obvious statement maybe, but don't neglect to remember that even if you don't do a formal teaching. Today we follow him by his word. And we should share God's promises with others and his commands with others, especially regarding the gospel. So at this point in our message, the Spirit had a special interjection for us on Sunday. Yes, he has more to say about politics. I know you're excited about that. But we live in volatile times, and for some reason he inserted this to remind us not to get in the way of discipling, the most important thing we could do with our lives. So on the board, regarding making disciples, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, 
We are called to transcend things like political preferences, not allowing them to become a stumbling block to others for the sake of his gospel. And the Spirit got Socratic with us on Sunday. Who doesn't like a good, good question or two, right? Sometimes questions can put us right in the crosshairs and make us see something we didn't see about ourselves. So, for example, during this time of turmoil in our country, are we believers called to focus our energy and emotions on politics? Or are we called to transcend it all and keep focused on Christ, our true King? And can we reach others who are frustrated and even in despair over our leaders with the joy of Jesus Christ, with the joy of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Joy to the world, anybody? Perfect time of year. What a perfect time to share the joy that we have knowing Christ and knowing where we're going based on his work on the cross. What a great time to share your joy. That's another fruit of the Spirit. Show them, tell them why you're not in bondage to what's going on in politics, for example, or even with the pandemic. You might be a little concerned, but you're not overwhelmed like them. You shouldn't be. And, and that's what they need to hear and see. Why? Because I have a joy that goes way beyond this world. We're all going to die one day. I want you to know what can make you truly happy or who can make you truly happy. So again, on the board, transcending worldly things for the gospel's sake. It's a trap from Satan to get preoccupied with things like politics. It's a trap. Operating like a citizen of this world instead of a citizen of heaven, which we believers are. We saw Ephesians 2.19 and Philippians 3.20 on Sunday. We're called to rise above it all and share with others about the true king instead. Not that we should be negligent citizens. That's not what I'm saying. As Jesus also shows us coming up in a couple passages. But God does not call us to get wrapped up in the things of this world, including politics. Here's another key question that came up on Sunday on the board. Are you fighting to make more disciples for our worldly leaders or are you fighting to make more disciples for our Lord and Savior? That's a valid question, everybody. <laughs> that might put some of you in the crosshairs. What are you fighting for? Who are you fighting for with your time and energy? Making disciples of worldly leaders that you admire? Or are you fighting to make more disciples for our Lord and Savior? As I said on Sunday, I think of a boxing ring. Are, are, we, are we even fighting the right fight? Are we in, with the, in the ring with the wrong opponent? Are the wiles of Satan getting you to expend your energy on the wrong opponent? Then he wins. He wastes your life away. In essence, you don't bring glory to God. Turn to Philippians 3.20 for a good reminder on this. Philippians 3.20. I mean, where are we, where are we from? Who, who are we? As a believer in Jesus Christ, who are we? I think you guys are already in Philippians. What happened there? Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship. Another key question from Sunday when you look at yourself in the mirror, would you say you think more like a citizen of this nation or this world? Or would you say you think more like a citizen of heaven? Rubber meets the road. Funny what we see in the mirror sometimes. It's not always pretty. But seriously, we should never have those two things be even close. 
are, are we operating more as a citizen or thinking more like a citizen of this world or nation or thinking more like a citizen of heaven and adopted one of the king? He calls us to keep our eyes on the things above in Colossians 3. And anytime you have trouble, and we all do this, right? Anytime you have trouble rising above the things of the world, elevating above them, and so you can look down like an eagle who can see everything and isn't even in the fray and be free up here. Anytime you're having trouble doing that, go read Colossians 3 again. Reset your mind. Next point on the board, transcending worldly things for the gospel's sake. One of the greatest favors you could do for someone else is not take sides politically with them, but instead give them the hope above all hopes, the savior of the world, the savior of their soul, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6:15, Revelation 17:14 and 19:16, he's called the king of kings and lord of lords. How about sharing that scripture with somebody? Remind them of how temporary this life is. And the only truly good leader is Jesus Christ. I don't care which side of the political aisle you fall on. The only truly good leader is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when he comes back, you might disciple someone with this too. He's going to rule the world for a thousand years. Can you believe that? A thousand years, he's going to rule the world, not one country. How's that for a presidential term? He's going to be king of the world for a thousand years. Why are you worried about the president? Why are you letting it take away your happiness? Do you have a favorite or do you have a, 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 you know, a belief in, in a certain way is better? Great. That's fine. But are you consumed by it? How about being consumed with the king of the world for a thousand years? It might be better to submit to him, by the way, than otherworldly people. So think about this for a minute, okay? We're talking about discipling, right? And not getting in the way with things like politics. A lot of teaching others in, involves planting seeds. That's it. Simply planting seeds. Giving them things to think about from Holy Scripture or, or ways that you apply things to life and letting the Spirit stir them in their soul. That's all it is, is planting seeds. Anyone can plant seeds. You know, again, you don't have to be a Bible teacher for this. Anyone can plant seeds of, of truth in someone's soul. It could be a, a quick comment or, or something about life and something from Scripture and now, guess what? It's in their soul. The Spirit does all the work, right? God causes all the growth in 1 Corinthians 3. So think about teaching others, discipling others as planting seeds. It is a simple thing we're called to do. God does all the work, all the heavy lifting. So next on the board, and, I, I, and this, this should hit home with you, I hope. Don't make others stumble because of your political affiliations. Instead, show them how you refuse to let that spoil your own happiness in Christ. Rise above it all for their sakes. Hopefully you can say this is true about you. That even if your guy loses, you do not let it spoil your happiness because you have Christ. And that's what they need to hear from you and see from you. More importantly, see from you. That your joy is not taken away because you lost. Rise above it all, everybody. We have to always remember how short life is, right? If we die tonight, do we care who the president is? No, but we care who the, the Lord is. So show them and tell them. Disciple them that we're in the devil's world. Disciple them that Satan is seeking to deceive men to go to hell. And these are just seeds you plant here and there. They're not, you know, again, it's not a whole Bible lesson you're giving somebody. But take someone under your wing. They need the direction. Pray about who God puts in your path or who he wants you to reach out to. 
So we mustn't allow politics to become our God or any earthly leader to become a God-like figure in our hearts. We must cling to Jesus as our Lord and Savior and Master and King. And you might help save someone from all the hysteria and hopelessness that they're feeling by teaching them to trust in Christ alone. Alone. Stop trusting in worldly leaders, my friend. You might say to them, trust in Christ alone. He's the only one worthy of our affection and our submission. Truly. He's the only one with the, the truth to set you free. So beware of satanic distractions. Satan is very intelligent. He knows how to lead each and every one of us astray. Yes, even you, self-proclaimed intelligent one. He knows exactly how to lead you astray and he'll do it like this. If you're not plugged into the word and humble before the spirit of God. He'll, he'll trick you like this, and you'll think you're doing righteousness, and you are in the wrong boxing ring, fighting the wrong guy. Go to 1 John 5.20. 1 John 5.20. Satan is so good at, at getting us to focus on the wrong things or the wrong people, and to even call it spiritual. I mean, how many Christian churches talk politics from the pulpit a lot a lot and it's a shame and they think they're doing the right thing they think they're being spiritual by doing it and guess what they're not even talking about jesus or the gospel they're talking about social action and justice and this and that and they did <laughs> this isn't the book that they're diving into they might even be diving into the constitution but why from up Godly pulpit. Anyway, citizens of this world or citizens of heaven? Which one are we? Look at the warning in 1 John 5, 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. He's the true God of God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Are you idolizing any political figures in this world right now? In your heart? In your soul? Are you relying on them and their success for your peace? May it never be. I hope that is not true about anybody listening to the word of God right now. And if so, repent Say, what a fool I've been. Lord, help me stop idolizing these people. There's only one worthy of idolizing. So maybe, just maybe, we should adapt Jesus Christ's attitude towards earthly politics. And my friends, again, I want to remind you, this is called making disciples, right? This has everything to do with properly making disciples and not getting in the way. We should adapt Jesus Christ's own attitude towards earthly politics. Do you, you agree with that? So what is his attitude regarding worldly politics? On the board, transcending worldly things for the gospel's sake. We do what we need to do and should do as citizens of our nation. But earthly politics are not the believer's purpose in life. Some of us need to read this statement like 10 times in a row. Is this statement true? Well, let's see. Let's go to Scripture. For example, even though the Romans were captors over the Jews, God's own people, Jesus didn't come and condemn them and fight against them. Did he? Did he even once? I don't think so. I mean, you could, you know, show me in the Bible if you see that. But he didn't come to fight against the Romans to free the Jews from temporal slavery. He wanted to free them from spiritual slavery, right? Slavery to sin and death. Did Jesus lead an insurrection against ungodly authority and political figures? 
By the way, it was way wor worse in Jerusalem than it is in America right now. Way worse. They were basically under, under slavery and dominion of another nation. He was focused on the gospel. Jesus stayed focused on the gospel because he knew it meant saving souls one at a time. Way beyond anything in this world. He said his kingdom is not of this world, right? Do you think maybe we should follow Jesus' example in this? As he was making disciples and told people, follow me and watch how I don't get involved politically as though that's why I'm here. Watch. So that's one example. For another example, Jesus told people to rightly pay their taxes to earthly leaders, but give to God the things that are God's. For example, our hearts. Pay your taxes. Don't let that distract you from giving your heart to God and not giving your heart to an idol, a political leader, anybody like that. Who's your heart, you know, relying on uh, for peace every day? That is giving to God the things that are God's. And Jesus was like, I'm not going to have any part in allowing a debate about taxes or government or politics to get in the way of spiritual, eternal things that last forever. Go to Luke 20, verse 22. Let's just see this. You might be familiar with this, but it's another example of Jesus separating the two. In other words, take care of your earthly responsibilities, be a good citizen, but make sure you give to God the things that are God's. Luke 20, 22 through 25. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. He wouldn't fall for the distraction or the debate. And then regarding the temple tax, which was actually a spiritual tax. It wasn't even the Romans. Regarding the temple tax, Jesus also told Peter to pay both their taxes so that nobody stumbles. Even though he said, as sons of God, we are free. In other words, it's within your rights to not pay the temple tax, but pay it anyway so nobody stumbles. So you don't get in the way of the gospel saving somebody. Let's see this in uh, Matthew 17, 24. Matthew 17, 24. And these are direct examples of how he refused to get involved in political debates for the sake of the eternal life of people that were watching him and listening to him. And so we should make disciples the same way. Matthew 17, 24. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the half-shekel tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. What did he say? We're free from that as sons, but don't give offense to them. It might get in the way of the gospel. You see how he rose above it all? And he knew it was really important? And he even put his own rights aside for the benefit of others, like Paul talked about throughout the church letters. One of the biggest shames in the lives of we believers is to allow earthly things to become a stumbling block to the gospel, even if it's right, even if it's a legitimate liberty you have. So the big picture question, 
okay, as we begin to wrap up this little mini-series here, the big picture question, what are we seeking to do with our lives? What are we seeking to do or accomplish in our lives? Is it not to learn what Jesus did and to follow his example? Amen? Isn't that, isn't that in a nutshell it? To learn what Jesus did and follow his example? To do what he wants us to do? To be pleasing to God and not to man? So on that same vein, do you see how the Lord refused to make a big issue out of politics or taxes? He refused. Paul also tells us rightly to pay taxes while here on earth as they take care of the ones that God placed in power or allowed to be in power. And then Paul shows us also how to transcend it all. And it's beautiful. So let's look at one more example of this in Romans 13, verse 1. Romans 13, 1. Like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He was imitating these things that the Lord did in the face of these temptations to get involved in political debate. Romans 13.1, he shows us at the end of this passage how to transcend it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. By the way, Paul wrote this book at the time when Nero was the Caesar of the Roman Empire, and he was one of the most evil rulers that ever lived. And he wrote this about obeying authority. It's all from God. God allowed it. Verse 4, For he, the ruler, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Then Paul tells us through the Spirit how to rise above it all in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. We can and should, as Christ's beloved ones, rise above it all like this. Don't get caught up in the fray, the taxes. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Why are you believers suing each other, taking each other to court in front of unbelievers? Don't get caught up in that. Rather be wronged, Paul said, right? I'd rather be wronged for the sake of the gospel so nobody stumbles. Fine, I'll take wrong. I know I'm right, but I'm t I'll take wrong. I'll pay extra tax. I don't care about that stuff. I want to rise above it all. I'm going to love, and I'm going to live, and I'm going to show what Christ wants. We mustn't lose sight that our hope is in heaven and not on anything on this earth or any person on this earth. And that's part of discipling someone to be a follower of Jesus. One more example on the board. Our great example, even when Jesus was facing death, he refused to engage in Pilate's temptation to focus on the kingdoms of this world. How tempting might it have been for Jesus to uh, pull the army together right at that moment to save himself and to set the Jews free all in one fell swoop? But he didn't bite. He didn't take the bait. Go to John 18.36. He's our great example, everybody. 
If you're spun up about politics so much that it affects your happiness, one way or the other, you're too spun up about politics. Jesus should be your politics. He's your king. You know? It's not even close. Again, on the board, even when Jesus was facing death, he refused to engage in Pilate's temptation to focus on the kingdoms of this world. John 18, 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Listen, we all know, because we have a flesh, that it's very tempting to take sides politically and take off the hockey gloves even, especially if you think you're defending our freedoms. Right? But the Lord wouldn't even fall for that. And neither should we. We, we should use him as our great example. He wouldn't even step in the ring. I'd rather focus on eternal things than temporal things. We have the privilege of turning people from the deceptions of this world and turning them to the truth. Let's be good and faithful servants and teach others who we should be submitting to and obeying and idolizing. A big part of making disciples for Jesus Christ is not allowing anything to be a stumbling block for others, for those who are weaker than you spiritually. And for more on that, you can read Romans 14 on your own, where Paul gets into food and drink and how he would never allow food or drink, even if he was right, he would never allow that to come between somebody weaker and the gospel, receiving the gospel. So it's a mindset, everybody, isn't it? What do we start with? A willingness to have sacrificial love? A willingness to lay aside your own life? Even in the things you're convinced you're right about? doesn't matter. The gospel matters. The gospel must remain number one in our hearts, far and above earthly things. And another part of making disciples is teaching others God's word. Maybe these very passages about politics or taxes you might share with someone. But again, you don't need to be able to make a disciple. You just need to be willing and humble. I think most of you listening to my voice right now realize that you can open up the Bible to any page and read any passage and God would use it for his glory. You could share any page, any passage with anybody. And if you had the right heart, God would use it for his glory. You might not even say a word. You might just have them read it. I don't know. I'm just saying. His word never comes back void. His power is in the word. It might not be a bad idea to sit down and purposely show people a few important passages about the gospel as part of your discipling. And, and I, I'm using this hand gesture because that means bringing someone along, right? We're not talking about sitting down with someone and cramming the Bible down their throat for three hours. We're talking about bringing them along, letting them follow you, planting seeds. It's a relationship with them. And you show them your relationship with Christ. Isn't that simple? Why do we complicate it? And there's people that need you and relate to you and trust you that don't trust me that don't trust Lois. I mean, who would trust Lois, right? Sorry, Lois. I don't know why I picked on you, but seriously, there's people that trust you or believe in you for some reason in your particular neck of the woods, your area of living, your, your skills, your gifts, and they wouldn't trust pastor or me or anybody else, but they'll listen to you for some reason. That's who you're assigned to, to disciple, hopefully to save and to Help them bring glory to God. Be fishers of men even. How exciting. But God's word never comes back empty. So on the board are just a few ideas of passages that you might sit down and read with someone one at a time at different times. I don't know. But these are some key passages on the board in making disciples. Mark 1, 14 through 20. Basically is Jesus saying, repent and follow me. 
And it's good to read the whole passage in context and, you know, maybe let them talk about it. They might have a question. They might not. They might just be convicted. How about John 3, 1 through 18? Basically, you must be born again to enter the kingdom. Mostly spoken by Jesus himself there. How about Luke 9, 57 through 62? And Luke 14, 25 through 35, which goes into what it means to follow Jesus and to count the cost. And then we have Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, which talks about how we become sinners or go from sinners to saints by grace through faith. And then we have Romans 3, 9 through 26. Romans 4, 1 through 8, and Romans 5, 1 through 11. All talking about being under sin, under condemnation, but we can be justified by faith in Christ. These are wonderful key passages that you might share with someone. You might read it with them. You might just send them an email. I don't know. You might say, you know what? You've got to read this. Will you just do me this one favor? Read this passage. You know, it's between you and God. I don't know. But again, we're, we're, we're bringing people up. We're called to disciple, make disciples, go out and make disciples. What a privilege. Even if it's one person we're assigned to, to mentor, so to speak. What a privilege. And in heaven, we're going to see the eternal repercussions of that, everybody. God doesn't like ignore when you obey him and do, do his works. He rewards. And that's not why we do it, but trust me, in heaven we will see that God doesn't forget anything. And he knows exactly what you're thinking and what you did when no one else was watching, etc. It's all going to be well worth it in the end. But we have the, the privilege again to affect the eternal life of other people. Even though God could do it on his own. He says, I'm going to let you be involved in this. When you get to heaven, you are going to have no regrets. You are going to be so stoked you're going to be so glad and have no regrets that you followed me by making others fishers of men by showing others how to follow me it's pretty simple isn't it so in closing again making disciples all begins with prayer you can't do it without him. You can't do it without asking for his help. You can't do it without submitting to him and his wisdom. On the board, making disciples. Spend some time in prayer. Ask God for help. <laughs> it doesn't get any simpler than that. Ask God to affect your heart with the urgency of the mission that he's given you and the other believers in your life too. Ask him for the strength wisdom and perseverance to pursue his mission by the power of his spirit in you and all the while remembering that he is able and he promises that he will bring it to pass even in little old you this is his plan it's his power it's his um, methods and again, all we have to do is go to him in humility like this and ask for help. When's the last time you prayed about what he wants you to do in this area? When's the last time you just simply went to him and said, I can't do this, Father. You're going to have to do something in me because I can't do this. Show me what you want me to do. I'm willing. That's the best it gets. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for opening our eyes to the privilege that you've given us regarding the Great Commission and having a true purpose in life. Why we're still even on this planet right now and not with you is because we can affect the eternal lives of others. And yet, Father, all you ask of us is to plant seeds and you promise to cause the growth. And we're so grateful for that, Father. We cannot do this on our own. We ask that you help us be humble before you and, and be open to where you lead us. Show us your objective and your mission for each one of us, Father. 
and give us the power, of course, by your grace through faith to go forward and teach others to follow your precious Son. We ask all these things based on the merits of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we ask these things in the power of your Spirit. Amen. Thank you.